0: And I'm on. All right, so welcome to Wednesday night Bible class. We're still studying 1 Corinthians. We're getting very close to the end. Um, Tonight is a continuation of the conversation from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week, where we discussed uh, spiritual gifts. Um, We're in probably one of the most popular, most well-known, most read verses in all the Bible tonight. And that will be interesting to discuss as well. So before we get started, let's say a quick prayer, shall we? Father God, we come before you, Lord. We are grateful for another day just to be alive, just to enjoy your creation, to feel your love. Father, to to feel each other's love as we come together to study your word and encourage one another and sharpen one another. Father, I just pray that as we go through the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God, that you guide our discussion, you guide our thoughts, Lord, help us to um, say what needs to be said, and think about what needs to be thought about when it comes to your word, and what it says to us, whether it's something we need to share with the class, or even if it's something that we need to uh, experience deep within ourselves. Father, we're so grateful for your love, which we're going to talk about all night tonight. We we, we just, life would not be what it is without your love. Because it was your love that sent your Son to die on the cross for all of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I wanted to start with the last verse of chapter 12, just to kind of remind you that I feel like, at least I feel like this is a big tie-in to chapter 13. If you look at 12, 13, and 14, I believe the majority of everything that we're discussing in these three chapters are about spiritual gifts. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And we were discussing what the higher gifts might be. I told you I thought that they were faith, hope, and love, and that we'd get into that today. So let's go ahead and read through a little bit, and then we'll stop and come back, all right? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to to remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. If I give all if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So let's just talk about these three verses to begin with. Let's kind of uh, have a little bit of fun. What do you think he means when he's talking about speaking in tongues and then he says of men and of angels. What do you think he means? Angels are deity. 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 Okay. They're uh, spiritual beings. Yeah. Okay. So let's break that down a little further. If he says, "I speak." if I speak in the tongues of men, what's he talking about? The languages of? Men. Of the earth, right? If I speak in the tongues of angels, what's he talking about? Potentially. Potentially. Let me ask you a funny question, just that I was thinking about in my own study. Speaking in the language of angels. Where do you find in the Bible that angels speak any other language than the one that we speak? Biblically, every time an angel speaks, he speaks in a human language. Why is that? The obvious answer, Chuck. That's right. They're speaking to humans, right? So that is a conversation to be had. I've heard people make the argument that there is no angelic language because there's no proof of it biblically. I'm not saying they don't have a point. I'm just saying I wouldn't shut that down and say that angels don't have their own language. We just don't really know that because every time the bible talks about angels speaking it's for our benefit go ahead chuck
1: i'm wondering whether paul put it in here let's assume there is a angelic language mm-hmm. is to say well you you've you want to change something more than just speaking like we do here on the earth you want to speak like they do in the angelic realm mm-hmm. and he's saying you're gonna sound like a clanging gong. Okay, it, it, it's, it's useless. It's yeah. fruitless if, if, there's, if you don't have the right motivation. Yeah. And so I, I think he's putting that also in there to say, even something that spiritual means nothing if you don't have love.
0: Okay, I like the way you said that. Anybody else? For me, I think of it very similar to what you said, Chuck, but just a little bit of a twist. And for me, when I look at this, we could argue about whether angels have their own language or not. I don't think you can get very far. You could say, I believe this way or I believe that way, but you wouldn't have too many facts to back up either way. Right? Um, But for me, when I think about this, I think about human language being language on earth, being our known world, right? And then you have the language of angels, which would be the spiritual realm. And if they have another language, it's to say this. If you could speak every language, would that be impressive? Have you ever met somebody that can speak multiple languages fluently? It's pretty impressive, right? Especially when you're in the place where you don't know the language well enough to speak and and communicate very well with the people you're around, and they're doing that for you. It's very impressive. Um, With that being said, if you could speak every single language, you ever met anybody who's been able to speak every single dialect of the earth? Me neither. (laughs) Me neither. That would be pretty impressive, right? That would be pretty impressive. That would probably be about the most impossible task. But it's not just even that. He's saying if you could speak every language on earth and every single language, whatever that might be, one, many, who knows, right? In the spiritual realm. If you could speak every single language, earth and spiritual, but you have not love, And then he compares you to a gong and a cymbal. Now, I was in band for a little while, that might shock some of you. I actually played the trombone and I enjoyed it and um, just not really enjoyed it enough to take my trombone home home and practice every day, right? So I was always second chair, not first. But, with that being said, in all my time in band, I've never seen a solo from a gong. I've never seen a solo from a cymbal. Have you ever seen a solo of a gong? Have you ever seen it? How would that sound? It would just be noise, right? A cymbal even, for the most part, a cymbal and a gong are to accompany something else. They were never really made to be by themselves. It would just be noise. It would be like trying to make a solo out of a doorbell. Some of your doorbells have solos, don't they? Da, 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 da. That's what it would be like. It's just noise. You can speak all the communication you want on heaven and on earth. If you have not love, you're just noise. That's what you are. All right, what about prophetic powers? He says, not only does he say prophetic powers, but he says, with these prophetic powers, you can all mysteries... In all knowledge. You ever met somebody that can answer every single question you have? <laughs> well said. Me neither, Mike. <laughs> right? But that's what it's saying, right? It's saying not only not only the power to understand and answer everybody's question, but the power to understand how everything's going to play out. Prophetic. Prophetic. Think about what you could do if you had all knowledge and you understood all the mysteries of the universe, of God's creation. What might you be able to accomplish? How high in society might you be able to rise? But if you have all that and you have love and you don't have love, what's it say you are? What about this one? If I have all faith. And then he quotes, in my opinion, right? He's talking about what Jesus said to the disciples. You remember that? He said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You could say to this mountain, go over here. He says, if you had enough faith to literally move mountains in this world, to tell them out where it should be, to even remove a mountain, but you don't have love, you're nothing. So he's literally taking what I believe to be some of the most amazing things, some of the most Amazing accomplishments, right? We have, we have people that we still idolize to this day in all kinds of, from all kinds of different cultures because of their amazing intellect, right? because of their uh, uh, um, amazing love that they shared with people, right? But, but if they have any of them ever been able to, Again, speak every language, know everybody's question to their problem, know the answer to everybody's question to their problem. Have they been able to ever do that? So you're literally talking about something that's higher than anything we've ever seen. That's the point I'm choking on right now. These are things that even the greatest minds, even those who have been the most accomplished, have never actually been able to reach. And he says, even if you can reach all that, but you don't have love, you've really done nothing. Mike? He's
2: really trying to bring out the necessity of, of love being formed between people because of spiritual gifts. You've got uh, Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles and Neither one has a New Testament showing them which way Christ wants them to go. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So, if you put your emphasis on these other things and it doesn't cause love, it's a waste of time.
0: Yeah, really, if you put the emphasis on other things and it doesn't even stem from love, right? Then it didn't come from God. Chuck?
1: Yeah, to me, I've always looked at it to say, it's really the core, the driver. Why do you do what you do for God? Mm-hmm. Do you do it because you love Him or because you want to be looked at by everybody else? It's like, look how great that person is. Mm-hmm. And then if, if you don't have that motivation, I do what I do because I love God and I know He loves me, everything you're doing is a waste of time.
0: Mm-hmm. I heard a quote um, from a, f- a friend of mine. I don't know where he got it from, but it, it was definitely from somebody else. <laughs> Way too smart for him, okay? <laughs> but he, he said, you take the best speaker in the world if he doesn't speak from a motivation of love. He's, just, he's really just one of the greatest manipulators of all time. And, uh, you know, I, f- I find that to be very true. In fact, that's one of the things with, with each of our gifts as they grow in us, if we don't do them for the right reasons, they can actually be used for very wrong reasons as well. All right, look at this part. He says, if I, give all, all, if I give away all I have, somebody say my name? No? Okay, sorry, I thought I heard something. If I give awa- away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Give away all you have. That would be pretty incredible, right? If somebody were to give away everything they had, what would people naturally assume about them?
1: drunk.
0: They're drunk? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, that was not a comment I prepared for. Um, (laughs) What? They're dying. They're dying? Okay. They're dying. People don't really just give away everything they have, do they? Yet again, something you don't really see. What about this? Deliver my body to be burned.
2: (laughs) This is a guy who isn't forced to be burned. He walks out, puts himself on the stack of wood, lets them tie him up, and burned to death.
0: that's, okay. Um, That's, yeah, that's terrible, I agree. That's rough, right? (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. What's interesting about this to me is I, I don't find anywhere except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where this has happened in Scripture, but it's about to happen to Christians in real life in the near future. Go ahead, Chuck.
1: A, Christ said, I emptied myself. I gave up, I sacrificed everything. Mm-hmm. Which would be someone who was trying to emulate him but they're not
0: doing it because of love. You don't mm. have
3: anything.
0: Yeah. 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 Gain nothing. What What's the point of it if it isn't for love? Is the whole point of everything that we're discussing tonight. Right? So here comes the most... You know, it's, I'll, I would be very curious to know if this isn't the most quoted scripture in all of the Bible. And here's Why? Name the last wedding you went to where this scripture was not read. Gets quoted a lot, doesn't it? Uh, I did some research, and the average wedding per minute in this world is four weddings per minute, every single hour, every single day. So this scripture is potentially getting read, at least in all the Christian weddings, right? how many times a minute how many times good question though before we read this because we most of us probably already know what it says some of us probably have it memorized right what what love are we talking about because here's a weird thing about our society it's not really that weird but it's kind of weird and it would be looked at really weird to this society that this language you know that this was written in originally we will say I love my wife we will say i love my kids we will say i love boston cream donuts right but clearly when i say i love boston cream donuts which i do i'm not talking about the same type of love that i have for my child right nor am i talking about even with my child the same type of love that i have for my wife so which love are we talking about in first corinthians chapter 13
1: I would probably say
0: agape. It is definitely agape. Good guess. The one I didn't even give you. I was trying to trick you, Chuck. It is agape. It's godly love. It's love for God. It's God being Lord of my life. Love. That's what it is, right? Don't forget when um, Peter is restored that him and Jesus in the original language had that discussion. Peter, do you love me? Agape. And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Philo. Okay, and he was saying, you're my best friend. You're my best friend. I love you. I was willing to die for you. Are you my Lord? So we're talking about a a love that is from God, but a love that we're supposed to love God back with. All our heart, all, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Very important to think about as we go through this list. Because when we do marriage counseling... I've done a few weddings. I've done a little bit of marriage counseling. One, I like to go to this scripture, and I've shared this before from the pulpit, and tell you that to replace the word love with your name and then think about the person you're going to marry. Do you love them in these ways? Replace that word love with your name. So is Matt patient and kind? Right? Uh, uh, does, does Matt act without envy or, or, or boasting? Um, So, just something to consider there, even though it's really not the best application because it's not Eros. It's agape, and Eros is the love that we would have for our spouse. It's being very literal, but something to consider. So, keeping it in context versus what you're normally used to hearing it out of context, being the love between husband and wife, keeping it in context with the love of God. Let's let's read this now. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So let's play a game real quick. When I say love is patient and you think about God, Biblically, what do you think of judges? Judges, Good one, good answer. Shad,
4: still loves us, even though we failed over and over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, he's patient, right? Scriptures say it's God's long suffering, right? He's being patient, waiting for as many as possible to come to him, right? That's that's scripture. All right, what about kind? What about kind? How's God kind? How about when Scripture says that God allows it to rain not just on the good, but the evil? How about this, before we go any further, and we're thinking about this? Would you describe yourself as a person of love? And when you're thinking about that and you're describing yourself as a person of love, are you talking about the people you have chosen to love that love you back, or are you talking about even the people that don't love you? Because agape love is a love that loves everyone, even the ones that are going to reject God. That's why kind to me is a really important one on this list. Another reason why kind is extremely important to me is because I think about youth ministry. One of the things that you learn very quickly is that one of the hardest rooms to build relationship in are the is the teen room. That's a hard room. Not anybody can just walk in there, build relationship, build rapport, and be embraced by the children. When they're young, it's much easier. They have not been affected by the world. They're not judging you based on what the world has taught them, whether you're cool enough, whether you understand their world enough. Kids judge you based on what? They tell you all the time that kids are excellent judges of character. Have you you ever heard that? Kids are. Kids know when they should be nervous and when they shouldn't be nervous. The other day, we were walking into a gas station, and we were going to get drinks. And there was somebody that was quickly approaching our truck. And Nathan said, Dad, lock the door. I said, I'm not going to lock the door. You have nothing to worry, be worried about. You're with me. Now, of course, they were judging based on an appearance. He didn't look like he had bathed in quite a while. And they were judging based on the fact that he was rushing to our door. They didn't like his intentions. But what was that judgment ultimately steeped in? Well, kids judge each other based on if you're kind or not. When you're young, you're not looking at everybody and you're thinking, is this person pretty enough to be associated with me? Is this person smart enough to be associated with me? Is this person talented enough to be associated with me? You know when you learn that? Middle school. That's why middle school is terrible. That's why it's a tough part of everybody's life. Because everybody, most of the way through elementary school was very kind to you. If you were kind, you'd receive kindness back. Somewhere right before middle school and all the way through middle school, we learn. And we start choosing. And we start picking and we start assessing based on different things. Not just who's kind, who's not, who's nice, who's not, who has care for me, who doesn't. So, kind is extremely important to me from that perspective. Jesus, when he says, let the little children come to me, and then he says, Hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like one of these. Sure, he's talking about innocence. He's talking about purity. He's talking about all that stuff. But he's also talking about kindness. Kids don't... Kids might fight over what they want, right? Just like a kid fights for a bottle when he's hungry. There's not a single polite kid or patient child that's ever born when it comes to being hungry. But naturally... They're kinder people than just about anybody else on the face of the planet. Just something to think about. All right. What about love does not envy? Love does not envy. Is God envious? Is God envious? I was a 10 commandments star. I'm a jealous guy. Is jealous envy? (laughs) Chuck says no. I'm throwing you out there.
1: Envy is want something that somebody else has you can't have. More like covetousness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whereas jealousy is. Yeah. That should be part of the equation, should be part of the equation. But I think that's a tough one. I think people look at that and they see exactly what you said, Doug, which is, we know the Lord is jealous. He's made that very clear. He gets jealous of when we walk away and worship things that are are idols, right? That are just pieces of wood that have been carved by human hand. He gets jealous when you worship other gods, he gets jealous when you, even when you are pursuing your own life and not pursuing him when he's trying to give you the best life. That doesn't mean that he's envious. I just want to point that out. Envy is when you're willing to take matters into your own hands to go get something that's not yours. It's not yours. It wasn't yours. We are all God's children. We are his. We, just like the book of Hosea, which isn't a book that's very popular to preach out of, and I completely understand why, but like the book of Hosea right we are Hosea's wife that's what we are that's the whole point of the book of Hosea that we run around and we do our own thing and then we come back when we've made a mess of ourselves Same, really same exact principle that you find in judges okay all right what about boasting does God boast Does God boast? Shat? A little bit. Oh, how?
4: We get to read of all the good stuff He's done. Okay,
0: okay, okay. I think He boasts in us, and I think it's one thing to boast in yourself; it's another thing to boast in someone else. I think that's a, that has a completely different context. I'm very proud of my children. And I'll let you know all the good things I think about him. I'll be honest, though. I'll let you know all the things I think are bad about him, too, if you really want. Right? All right. He's not arrogant or rude. Is God, let's, boasting, arrogant, pride, kind of the same thing. What about rude? Is God rude? Is there any time in the Bible that you can think that God, Jesus, was rude? What about kicking over tables? I'm just, I'm just asking the question. What about chasing people with whips? If you are an innocent bystander and had no idea what was going on in that moment, would you think he was rude? You'd probably think he was out of control, right?
1: Chuck? He mm-hmm. made my father's house a den of thieves. And that was how he reacted with people who were supposed to be bringing people to his father. Were driving people away from his father.
0: Yeah, not only driving people away, ripping them off in the process, right? But
3: I think the word rude. I think of an unnecessary correction or kindness doesn't have to be said. Doesn't need to be said. It's of no benefit to the person you're being rude to. Mm-hmm. What he did there,
2: it wasn't.
0: Okay? Uh, some way back there. Justified. It was justified. If it's justified, it can't be rude. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I agree with what everybody's saying, and I'm being a little bit facetious on purpose because I want you to wrestle with this and understand, was Jesus ever really sharp with anybody? Yes, he was, wasn't he? He was. Who was he most famous for being sharp? Like, who does everybody know he was sharp to? Yeah, he said some things that if I said them to you, which one I wouldn't because I'm not God and I don't know your heart, let me give him another out, right? You would think they were rude. If I said, hey, Mike, your cup's really clean on the outside, but in the inside, you, it's a dirty mess. That would be pretty rude, right? So, there is something to be said about the fact that God was handling things from a standpoint of God, right? When we're talking about the flipping of tables, when we're talking about chasing people with whips, was that not also prophesied? Wasn't that prophecy being fulfilled, believe it or not? It was. That's how far the temple had come from where it was supposed to be. It had become a money-making machine, a market, a place where people weren't really worshiping God. They were buying privilege. Very different. Sue? I think what Susan just said is so important here
3: because Jesus was doing it because... He was trying to help people see God. And yes. these Pharisees and the Sadducees were not allowing them to see God. What they were doing was it was hurting spiritually all the people that they were supposed to be serving. And he did not want that to happen. So he was taking them to pass in for the benefit of other people.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, don't, I certainly don't want anybody to think that I was trying to make excuses of why Jesus was rude. Because I don't think he was being rude. I think he was defending the truth. And I want to say this real quick. Real quick. Sorry, Chuck. I want to say this real quick. Sometimes we think anytime somebody's being blunt, they're being rude. You can be blunt without being rude. Sometimes when you're blunt, it's going to hurt. That doesn't necessarily make it rude. When my dad said to call me out in the past as I was growing up in his house about things I wasn't doing right, he was pretty blunt. When he was right, he was certainly not being rude. Okay? He was correcting his son that he loved trying to raise him right, right? Different.
1: Money making machine. I would call it a swindling machine. Yeah, it they was. Were, they were swindling the people out of their money, and they were swindling the people out of a relationship with God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't see anywhere that it says that love does not get angry and love does not discipline. Yeah. It does not say that anywhere that, you know, love can, you can have angry, anger and love together. I mean, it doesn't say that you can't. Yeah. And, you know, he was angry. He, yeah. You know, you were defiling my father's house. You know, and he and he did, you know, when you discipline your children, it's not out of out of irritability or rudeness or arrogance. It's about out of love. That's and right. And I think that is, it does not say love does not get angry.
4: That's right. Chad? I, that I agree 100%, like what you said to Mike it's not rude if it's true and it's out of love because you know it hurts Yeah, and sometimes you have to hear things a certain way to change
0: yeah, I think the reason why I did this this way is because part of the reason why we all got a little uncomfortable one, because some of you were going, hold on, am not trying to say Jesus was rude right, and two, which you'll get used to that I'm going to say things like that all the time Before long, it won't even surprise you. And two, I want you to see something that's happening in our society, in our culture. Okay? Where blunt, tough love can be really offensive now and all of a sudden rude. And it's not. It's not. Listen, God tells you in the Bible that without Him, you can't get to heaven. That's a little offensive. (laughs) Right, Based on that standard, that's a little, you're telling me without you I can't get in? Pretty rude. That's the reality. That is the reality of Scripture. That's not rude. That's tough love. That's the honest truth. Left to our own devices, without God in our life, we'd all be very different people. We all would be. The world without God, left to its own devices. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we'd be. Alright, let's keep going. What about oh, these, these this insist insist on its own way? Tell me one scripture that comes to your mind, Susan White, because I know you're already thinking of the exact same scripture as me, where Jesus didn't insist on his own way.
3: Let me pray. Please let this pass.
0: Yeah. This is what I want. But if it's not your will, I'm gonna go through with this. This is what I'm gonna do, right? Doesn't insist on it's own way. Called on you to get through that one real quick because I knew we'd be on the same page. All right, what about irritable? Anybody ever irritable? I think everybody at the right time early in the morning can be susceptible to being irritable. And I think most men especially, I'm gonna call us out, when we get really hungry. Hangry, that's right. When we get hungry, we can get a little irritable. Right? Right? Irritable. Do you know what the, um, the, the, the word for irritable here, and it's really, it's really connected to the word resentful in the ori- original language, basically means to count up wrongs. To count up wrongs. Okay? To count up wrongs. So like when you're in your relationship with your spouse, And you get into an argument, and you start counting up all the wrongs to win the argument. This is what that's talking about. This is what that's talking about. And I'll be the first to admit, every now and then, I'm I'm guilty of being irritable and resentful.
3: It, that's...
0: I've learned that as well.
4: Oh. No. <laughs> yeah,
0: Did you want to say something else? I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's
2: the idea of being self-serving that he's getting across.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Alright, what about rejoice at wrongdoing? Okay, okay. Some of you are thinking, I would never do that. I would never rejoice at wrongdoing. That's just not who I am. There's nothing about when somebody does something wrong that would ever make me happy. What about when somebody that you don't like gets in trouble for something that they did that was wrong? Is that a very loving attitude?
4: Chad? Guy
3: flies past you, and
0: then a the cop pulls him over, and you're like, "Yeah!" <laughs> I think that's. I think there's justice in that, so you're marking it up a little bit, like we did with uh, the the with Jesus at the temple. But yeah, I think to an extent, yes, I do. Th- I, there's justice though. Some of that's justice. Like, yeah, he, you're not mad at him because he's going fast. You're mad at him that he's going fast enough that he could hurt somebody, right? if you're just mad at him because he's going fast, well, then maybe so, yeah. Yeah. Don't talk about behind the wheel. You get me in big trouble. That's, that's probably where I need to work on being a Christian the most is behind the wheel. <clears throat> My kids are very good about bringing that out of me, you know. When, you start, when you're driving by yourself your whole life or with your wife, you end up talking more. You're being more vocal while you drive. When your kids are in the car, you start thinking about everything that you're saying, right? And you're like, man, uh, uh, mm, uh." I mean, my mouth's pretty clean, but, uh, you know, it's more of like, what is he doing? Everything's somebody else's fault. Anyway, um, enough about me. Um, But he goes back to what love is. And I want to point this out, too you ever been in one of those positions where you've tried to describe something and sometimes it's easier to describe what it's not than what it is? And I think one of the things that we run into with this, and you can see it with Paul, and that's why I made it the different colors on purpose here, right? because you can see it with Paul in this. It's almost easier to describe what it's not than what it is. You know why? Because nine... I'm not going to give it a number. But let me say it this way. Because most of the time if not almost all of the time what the representation representation of love that you see in this world is very imperfect right sometimes when you're looking for your significant other right you use those past relationships that you had in your life to decide what you didn't like just as much as what you did like Right. And I think that's one of the things that we see here is it's easier sometimes to talk to people about love from a place of what they experience versus what they don't. Um, Just something to think about there, too. Okay, So it rejoices with the truth. Love always rejoices with the truth, which means even though love can be tough, if you really love somebody, you have to have tough talks with them at times. Right. That's just the reality. Um, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Agape love. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. This love for you is never going to end. I think about this specific part really personally. And I hope you do too. When you read this part right here, verse 7, verse 8, and that's really just the beginning of verse 8. But I want you to think about that very personally as what God is telling you about you. God doesn't ever give up on you. He always believes in you. He's always hoping for the best for you, right? He is going to endure, endure with you through this life, through your relationship with Him, your ups, your downs, your goods, your bads, right? He's going to bear it with you. He's going to bear it with you. And one of the things that we discussed in the past, and I don't want to bring something up um, just to bring it up, but you know we were talking about repentant spirit and stuff like that, and I just want to come back to this moment right here and say, even though I think it's very important that we constantly think and have a repentant attitude towards our mistakes, towards our faults, towards our failures, doesn't mean that I think in any way, shape, or form that God it's over here flipping a light switch based on when, when you're having your good day and your bad day. God bears through all of your bad days just as much as He's rejoicing and enjoying your good days. God has an endurance that the Bible teaches us to strain, to strain towards what lies ahead, that relationship with Him in heaven. And He's looking forward to that relationship in heaven just as much as you are. Go ahead, Sue.
3: Because God first loved us. Yeah,
0: first John 4.
3: So that's where our love comes from. That's right. And I I think that this it's easy to say you love. It's very easy to mouth those words, I love, whatever. But this gives you something to to look at yourself. Do I really love? Am am I patient? Am I kind? Am I rude? Am, you know, it's a way of us self-examining whether we really love like God loved us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Anybody else want to add anything before we move, Shad? Yep.
4: I um. I think you, like myself maybe just because i'm getting older but the more i realize how much god loves me and the the more agape that i know about and learn about the easier a lot of the stuff becomes in my life i I don't get irritable as quick i I get a little more patient i think i'm willing to drop my time and help somebody you know Mm
1: -hmm. um
4: i just it just seems like the, the more you realize what love is Uh, the more you can combat a lot of the problems
0: that we see up here. Yeah, Yeah. I agree 100% with what you just said. The more I realize how much God loves me, right? Not only the more I love Him, but also the more I love others, and in those two things, you fulfill the whole law, right? Anybody else? Mike? That's right
2: off. Uh, That's what he's doing with this section. Right. He's saying, if you can get love for each other,
0: you're heading in the right direction. So yeah, I think that, um, not to jump too far ahead, but I think this is the, excellent, the more excellent way he's talking about. Right? They've, they've got this belief in Jesus. They're pursuing these gifts and they're receiving these gifts, but they're still trying to have status through those gifts, have power through those gifts, and they're not really loving each other. And really, that's the overall theme of all of 1 Corinthians in a lot of ways. Okay. So continuing verse eight, as for the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when it says prophecies, pass away. When it says tongues, will cease. When it says knowledge, will pass away. First question is, are these all talking about the same time? Sue?
3: Their purpose was to benefit the church at that time. Mm -hmm. You had a church that was in infancy that had only what people came and preached to them and taught them that's all they had Uh, and without the prophecies without these tongues and being able to interpret other languages Mm -hmm. without this knowledge this all came from God it wasn't coming from them they were teaching the people but when there was that teaching was established then the church didn't need that anymore they had the, the teaching Okay. And, you know, they didn't want people coming in along like Galatians talking about and adding something else.
0: Yeah. So, when you say that, are you saying that all this happened, at, or is this all at the same time? I know that's, Listen, that's a, that's a tough question. I don't know if we really have the answer to it, so don't feel like you have to know it anyway. Just a, just a question for Todd. Go ahead, Chuck.
1: Doug verse 9 only talks about knowledge and prophecy it doesn't talk about tongues somebody would use that argument that says tongues are still here
0: yeah so what is interesting about this is what from just the list that we were talking about what doesn't what is not on this part at all It's the one thing, well, there's actually three things, but it's the one thing that's been talked about that also ends up right here, right? He talks about faith that can remove mountains, and the overarching theme was about love, okay? And what is faith? Faith is what we hope for. So you got faith, hope, and love, right? Okay, just want you to think about that for a minute, And then let me ask you this question. Go ahead, Chuck, I'm sorry.
1: The context of what he's talking about here is how will we spread the good news? They had knowledge. That knowledge was from, through, from the Spirit. They had tongues to be able to talk to different people, parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And then they had prophecy. Well, what do we have now? Well, we have the Word, so we have the knowledge. We have it in many, many different languages, so we have the tongues. And we have the prophecy. Mm-hmm. So when we had enough that people couldn't debate about it, saying, well, I got a special revelation from God, but it was what was written down. At That particular point, it was no longer necessary. But up until the time when the church, as, as Sue said, could be established and established on biblical principles from God, mm-hmm. you needed to have this. Mm-hmm. But when you had the foundation for it, which was enough of the scripture in place that people could go see what God really meant You didn't need any more mm-hmm. The problem they had was they were looking at it as status Not as a way to spread the word mm-hmm. as status. He says you got it all wrong. It's not about status It's about being able to reach the lost and it has to be rooted in love when you're not doing it out of love. You're doing it out of arrogance. You're doing it out of being boastful. You're doing it out of pride. And that's what this whole chapter is, kind of wrapping it all around is to say, all this has to be done, but it has to be done out of love.
3: Yeah. Read this. And
1: when I started, and of course, everybody studied 1 Corinthians 13 many times. But I always thought this meant when it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes the partial will pass away i always thought that meant because right now we don't have perfect knowledge we only have partial prophecy we don't know the entire story of how it's going to happen we don't have perfect knowledge but when the lord comes again when jesus comes before us and we see him face to face we are going to have perfect knowledge and we are so the partial is going to pass away because we're going to understand in full
3: Okay. I, I
0: think that's pretty good. Go ahead, Mike.
2: The perfect, I've been studying this all day, so I really feel tired. Uh, <laughs> the perfect is in the middle voice, which means nothing to anybody but me. Uh, but what it's talking about is that this is to lead us to a maturity so that We'll pick on Charlie because he hadn't said anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charlie and I love each other and what we do, prompted by that love, is going to move us forward together. Uh, Same with you and me. Mm -hmm. We're going to love each other if we're going to move forward together. Uh, And this church was so split between Gentiles and Jews that they had to have a way to bring them together. And when that happened, you had a passing away except for the
1: big three. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Chuck, go ahead.
1: I've always heard the interpretation that that which is perfect is actually that which is complete. Mm -hmm. And if it's complete, it's what we need Understand and come to God. When it's complete, when we understand that we have it completely given to us, partial, which is miraculous knowledge, miraculous tongues, miraculous prophecies, will pass away. It's past.
0: So, I agree with you that my inter- my personal interpretation of this scripture. And this is just so you know, this is this is one of the mo- this is one of the most debated scriptures in all First Corinthians. Okay, um, So this is a tough one. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to teach First Corinthians because they don't want to get into this. I'm going to come back to you in just a second, Paul. Um, but I do believe exactly what you just said when we're talking about miraculous gifts, these miraculous gifts. can people speak in different tongues today? Not, not, not like this, but I can speak Spanish. Right? Because things have, times have changed, right? Times have changed. And I think this is a very important thing to talk about because we're going to, we got to wrap all this up in just a minute and it's about to get real, real tight and we're already out of time. But we started 10 minutes late, so y'all got to stay 10 minutes longer. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to wrap it up real quick. But we're getting into the deep stuff right now. So when you look at it from a miraculous p- perspective, right? Like we saw in Acts chapter 2 for example, which is probably your best example of speaking in tongues. Okay? Like you see, or at least like many of us, I would would dare to say believe is how the scripture was written when it comes to miraculous knowledge. Right? It wasn't just that Paul had studied all these scriptures and finally figured it out on his own. God was giving him, literally guiding his hand, inspiring the word of God. Right? Okay. So when you see that in prophecies, right? I will also agree with this that we do, still, we do still have, to an extent, something that is partial. Something that is partial. Okay? Because even though God has revealed many of the mysteries, as Paul's been talking about, right? The main mystery of the Bible was what? Jesus Christ. That is the main mystery, right? Even though we have many of the mysteries revealed, you don't know exactly how everything's going to happen. You don't. Neither do I. Neither did Paul. Neither did Paul. That's why it says, we know. Who's he talking about when he says we? Y'all? Or is he talking about himself being included? Right? He's talking about himself. Okay? So he says, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. There's parts of it God has revealed. There's parts that he has not. Okay? But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, what I want to tell you is that many people will teach you that the perfect here is the Bible. Is the perfect here the Bible? And it goes along with what you just said, Chuck, with the completeness, right? So they didn't have the complete Bible. And now we have the complete Bible. Is when perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The Bible. Now, I know that wasn't probably what you were about to say, Paul, but I want to go back to you. I wanted to say
1: that this passage is explained a little bit better in Ephesians 4 11 through 13. hmm. What it says is (coughs) So Christ himself gave the Apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastor teachers To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ.
0: Fullness of Christ.
1: That's what it's talking about.
0: Mm -hmm. Alright, so I'm going to push on a little bit because we are already out of time, okay? So Sorry if I'm rushing this at the end. I didn't really want to, but Uh, It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, now I want to say this real quick. To me, when you say that the perfect is the Bible in that, and then you read that, to me, that's out of context. That's out of context to me. Um, And the reason why is because when I see face to face, what is perfect, to me, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what I see. That's why we only know in part, then we'll know fully, right? Just as we are fully known. Who are we fully known by? It's woman at the well. Go ahead, Mike.
2: Keeping this in context, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I
0: mm-hmm. thought
3: like a child,
2: I reasoned like a child, but when I came, became a man... I gave okay. up childish things. Yeah. That's right. Okay. He's describing us as, if we were back in the first century, this would have hit us right between the eyes. Because there were those who progressed and there were those who weren't. And the Corinthians weren't.
0: Okay. Corinthians were very young church. Yeah.
2: And so he says, it's time to grow up. And when you grow up, you won't need them to bring the church together. You okay. Love holds them together. If you say it it's when Jesus comes back, you have to say that this is gonna to last to these and come back.
0: No. Nope. It's not what I said at all.
2: You about the books. That came out of a conference in threes. 306 A.D. Mm -hmm. Where they decided that's that's what this was talking about and that was handed down Mm -hmm. And then we have some people who Who like some of these things and they've held on to them and so they they want to bring this down But the, the word for perfect here is in if you get anybody got a new standard Bible? No, we
1: got
2: a new standard. Because it uses the word mature.
0: Okay. I, um, so just so you know how I parse what you just said, is right here. Because here's, here's, the, here's the part, and, and I have went round and round with people who are on the other side of the argument that totally believe that until Jesus comes back, you'll have tongues, you'll have prophecy, you'll have all this. Okay? I want to make the distinct, distinction to me that we're talking about miraculous, because I don't think anybody in here thinks every prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled. right? So we still have prophecy. Right now. We just don't have prophets giving prophecy in a miraculous way. Right? We still have speaking in tongues, just not in a miraculous way. Because people have a gift. You ever met somebody again with the gift to speak multiple languages? Some people can do that really easily. It doesn't t- it's not very hard for them. Alright? In the same way, these miraculous things, such as knowledge, we have the complete Word of God. I'm not arguing that, that it's not complete. Okay? We have the complete Word of God. But if you're going to learn it, you've got to study it. Right? We get up here to preach and teach. God's not back there giving us the words to come out of our mouths. in our preparation, and our... That, you know, I'm not saying that he doesn't honor any of that. And doesn't guide us in our thoughts. Just like he's doing in this class. Okay? But it's different. So there's a distinguishment to me. And then it says, so now... So now, after it says all of that, this is how it ends. It says, so now, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. To me, that is saying, even though I believe that the perfect is Jesus in the second coming, it is also saying that there is going to be a time where these miraculous things that he pointed out, they will cease. They will no longer exist. And it is. In the infant stage of the church, they were were badly needed. Okay, You weren't going to go in and completely change cultures without something to prove that you had something amazing from God. It wasn't going to happen. But to make that perfect, the Bible, to me, doesn't come into context with the rest of the Scripture, but I can easily see where it says, so now faith, hope, and love will remain. And the reason why me and my friends from the other side of the aisle who believe that all these miraculous gifts still exist today, the way we differ is they think you're going to take faith and hope with you into heaven. Because guess what? That's the only way you can read this scripture and make it that way. The other way. Just so we're clear. If the three that remain is faith, hope, and love, and we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, then you're going to have to explain some of Paul's other writings. I've said this before. I will stand by it. Because Paul says, if I've experienced my hope... I don't, it's not hope anymore, right? And faith is seeing what I don't believe. When Jesus comes, we all faith that Jesus is going to come. riding on the cloud, right Chuck? Riding on the cloud, right? When I see it, I'm not uncertain of it anymore. It's not things unseen anymore. You get what I'm saying? So if there's a time where three remain, faith, hope, and love, then it has to be actually before the second coming. see that so i can actually say that the perfect is jesus that i will see face to face without saying that the bible is not complete (laughs) okay and i can still show you how that scripture is talking about certain miraculous gifts actually ceasing and passing away leading us into a time of faith hope and love And tell your friends, who might think that these miraculous gifts still exist, okay, ask them, when does faith and hope cease to exist? Because most of them are going to tell you never. And that's actually against Scripture. It's actually against what Paul writes himself. To me, that's why love is the greatest of all, because you know what we take out of here with us into eternity? Love. Shad.
4: As I said here we are doing all this, I I think about myself, how far from God I really am through the way I love. So to enter into heaven, you got to have the heart of a child. You got to mm-hmm. be a child, basically a child who wants the innocence of a child. So. As I said here, and you tell the story about the guy coming up to the car, right? You take your son and you make him two years younger and never had been subjected to, that guy's a bad guy. He would embrace that guy. He would would not know not to love that guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's how far away we are in love to God to be childlike. We are even... Knowing what we know, we are still very far away. Oh, yeah. That's how powerful love is.
0: it. is, you're right about that. So
4: if you think you can get back to that child to love every single person that you come in contact with and every single thing you know and have faith that you know you're getting a cotton candy no matter what, right? <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, that's incredible. Are we ever going to, do you think you would ever be able to return to that? Through, through loving God. I, I, I feel... That's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. I feel mm-hmm. as we get a little older, I think, you know, like myself, I get a little close, closer, a little softer, I start to understand a little more. But uh, I just, man, my ears are numbered. I don't know if I have enough time,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know? Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's fair. Mike, we're going to we're, we're gonna have this show down, but go ahead.
4: I just wanted to give you
2: good news. It pops back up in chapter 14. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: I am ready, ready, ready. All right, let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, for all the great discussion, for the challenge of it, Lord, as we try to think about it and and put it into context. Lord, we know that your ways are so far above our own, so we know we're all fallible. We're all capable of misinterpreting. We're all capable of making mistakes, um, even when we're trying to do our best, even when we're trying to do our best, even when we're trying to truly live for you and study your word with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. So, Father, I just pray that what we've discussed here even though it's a very difficult topic, a very difficult part of the Word of God, Lord, I just, I just pray that we honored you in our conversation and that you were glorified in, in what we said tonight. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the sacrifice He made on the cross. We thank you so much for the love that he shared with us and that we now share with each other and the rest of this world. And we pray that that is our emphasis in everything that we do because without it, we are nothing and we gain nothing. Love is everything. That's why you're love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.